Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Tom Stein. <clears throat> and uh, Tom and I have been sort of going back and forth for almost a year trying to set up an interview. And, you know, there were various complications, and he went on a little sabbatical for a while, but now he's back, and uh, so we're finally doing it. Tom lives in um, Springfield, Missouri, in the heart of the Bible Belt, I suppose we could say. Yes. Uh-huh. I, is, does Route 66 go through there? Yes. It oh, certainly cool. does. Springfield was the first stop on Route 66 ah. from Chicago to L.A., so yep. When I uh, was 18 years old, I hitchhiked from New Jersey to L.A. <coughs> most of the way on Route 66, so I'm sure I went through Springfield. and You certainly did. had some interesting experiences in the Ozarks with my long hair. <laughs> <laughs> in those days, the uh, hillbillies didn't have long hair. Nope. <laughs> um, so generally, these interviews have two main components to them. It kind of works out that way. One component is what it is the person likes to say or teach or you know reveal about th- their about reality as they see it, and another component is you know how they got there. I mean, what their cr- sort of credentials are, so to speak, uh, what their story is. And it's funny because I get emails from people, and some people say, "I love the stories." You know, that's that's so interesting to hear that this person is just an ordinary person like me, and yet they're having this experience. And other people email me and say, "Enough with the stories. I don't care about whether the guy was doing this or that. I just want to hear what he has to say." So, in deference to both those factions, I I, I try to do both. You know, sure. and, and I think it makes it more interesting that way for a broader range of people. But I'd like to also give guests the option of deciding where to start, you know, because some people would rather just start with, you know, what they like to express if they're on a bus with somebody for 10 minutes, what, what was it, you know, they'd like to say, and, and others like to sort of go through a chronology of, of how the whole thing developed, so how, how would you like to do it? it? It really doesn't matter to me at all, you, you lead the way. Okay, Tom, so... I'm happy, I actually do best in response to questions, I love questions. So. Okay, good, so let's pretend we're on a bus or an airplane, oh, cool. we just met each other, we're on an airplane, so Tom, what do you do for a living? <laughs> well, you know, that's a funny question. <laughs> that's a very funny question. I, I, I do a little bit of several things, but um, mostly I like to stare into a video camera uh-huh. on my weekends and talk to people about something called spiritual awakening. Huh. And what is that? It sounds religious. Oh, boy. Is it religious? Um. In a very broad sense, you would you probably would call it religious. Um, spirituality and religion have a have an interesting, what would we call it, incestuous history together. I guess <laughs> <laughs> they've they've uh, they've spent too much time together, but they probably should spend a little more time apart. Um, yeah, the way I look at it, really in the broadest strokes, unfortunately for most people. Um, spirituality is really about the very life they're living no matter what form that life takes and I say unfortunately because most people are completely unaware of the fact that there's this seemingly separate piece to it called spirituality and so um, for good or for ill um a lot of people find themselves, especially today, I don't know if it was really that way a hundred years ago, but it certainly seems to be that way today. Maybe it's just the fact that we can all uh, communicate with each other much better than we used to. Um, people are finding themselves with a drive or a push, if you will, to 
explore and to find out about something beyond what their eyes and ears tell them about. There, there's, there's a, I think there's, as, as the Buddha said, there's an inherent unsatisfactoriness with, with um, typical human life. And that propels us in many different ways. Some people, it propels them in completely non-seemingly spiritual ways. And others, it, it drives them to find out what, what's this thing all about? What, what is this life that I'm living that I have, seem to have virtually no choice about living? What is this thing about? What am I doing here? And for most people, how the hell do I make it better? <laughs> how do I get out of the typical human mess that I find myself in and get to something that's hopefully more peaceful, more loving, more relaxing, and not so much of a struggle? Because I think that's where most people find themselves on a daily basis is in the midst of struggle. I think it's, you know, maybe this uh, sort of sentiment is um, more popular than it was 100 years ago or whatever, but I think it's always been there. I mean, you look yeah. at the history of every culture, there are people who realized there was more to life than meets the eye, and they, wa they wanted to figure out what it was, and whether they got into some sort of spirituality or took hallucinogens or whatever they did, right. uh, you know, they, they wanted to change their consciousness and, mm -hmm. you know, see life differently and hopefully more deeply. Yep, I would agree with that, Rick. It's um, there's, well, I, I. It seems like the writings in India are probably about the oldest that we know of. Um, you know, the Vedas and the Upanishads and the teachings of the Buddha. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's certainly it's certainly been around, and it certainly hasn't looked like typical Western religious history. It, it's looked, you know, what we want to call more spiritual in some respect. I don't know, but. Uh, it seems certainly that people have a lot more what is it i guess they have more possibilities these days i mean yeah, yeah. if you were living on if, if if you were one if you were my great great grandfather living here on a farm mm -hmm. um about 10 miles south of where i'm sitting right now your possibilities for finding out how to alleviate that dissatisfaction were pretty limited yeah um you know local church um no, I don't even know if it, I assume a train went through here. I can't, you know, I, I guess it did. Um, but, you know, horse and buggy, that's how they got here. Yeah. So y You might be lucky to pick up a copy of Emerson or Thoreau or something. Yeah, exactly. That you was know. probably about your only avenue to something more than, you know, what they taught at the Methodist Church or the Baptist Church. Yeah. And yet there was that drive even yep. then, you know, which is why the Methodist or Baptist Church existed. Oh, I would, exactly. you know, I would exactly. say that the, you know, the the religious uh, institutions are ultimately founded on the same motivation as what you and I are talking about and doing. Yep. Um, it just has taken a different form, perhaps not so directly experiential. It's more right. belie belief-based, but it's this, still that fundamental motivation to, mm -hmm. you know, find something deeper, clearer, truer. Yeah, I think. You know, as with all, well, you know, probably with every spiritual movement, there's always the, uh, there's always the guy who has the vision, mm -hmm. and then there's the people who follow. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they don't quite get it too right, I guess we could say. I don't want to say right necessarily, but, you know, they get a little off, um, and funny things happen. But, yeah, all, all everything from the, from the, um, uh, more shamanic 
you know, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word primitive. That seems very uh, condescending, but something that was, you know, more of a spirit based, more of a natural based, all the way up to the most intellectual, highbrow, sophisticated modern spirituality you could talk about. They all have that that common that common urge to know the truth. Yeah, that, that's that's the bottom line. So, at what age did that urge initially dawn in your awareness? <laughs> um, wow, you know, unlike uh, unlike most of my contemporaries, um, I I grew up more. I more or less grew up here on a farm, actually, right. and. Um, Unlike most of my contemporaries, my parents were um, very non-religious. Um, they didn't do anything. And I always had kind of the, I was more the uh, intellectual type, uh, which was an odd mix for being on a farm. So I had, I had nothing, no, no, nothing even remotely spiritual going on whatsoever and you know by the time I was 17 18 years old I I pretty much had it figured out you know you were born you lived you died <laughs> end of story forget the rest and basically you're an idiot if you think anything otherwise uh-huh. okay I was a snobby intellectual so um were you reading sort of uh, existentialist philosophers or atheistic uh, philosophers oh no I, I just rejected the whole lot I mean uh-huh. it, I, it just seemed all silly to me. Mm. I was far more, I was very materialistic. Let's huh. say. So um, went to college, same deal. Um, college was over. I ended up back here, which was kind of a surprise. And um, I was, I just, I started feeling ill. You know, I, I just, I wasn't sick. I didn't have any health problems that you could find, but I didn't feel good all the time. And so it got me kind of looking at alternative medicine, you know, what, what possible help is there here. And lo and behold, I discovered that um, a man named Norman Sheely, doctor, is here in Springfield. And he was the founder of the American Holistic Medical Association. And he came to Springfield mm, a dec- uh, 20 years ago, or more, no, more than that. That's when I saw him was 20 years ago. So he's been here for 30 years. Um, and I went to see him, and he gave me, you know, a head-to-toe, I mean, went over every last possible square inch of my, uh, my physiology. And then we sat down in his office, and he looks at me, and he said, so tell me what you believe. And I looked at him, and I went, believe about what? <laughs> and he said, you know, about life, about, you know, life and what happens to you after life and God and spirit. And I'm looking at him like, this man is freaking nuts. I, <laughs> and then I'm, I'm here for my body, dude. And I looked at him and I said, well, you know, you, you're born, you live, you die. Yeah. And he got this kind of real fatherly look, you know, grandfatherly look, actually. And um, he said, well, you know, because um, it was, He's a very interesting man. He's, I mean, he's, he's, if there's research on the issue of mind-body, he knows it. Hmm. And he gets this look in his eye, and he's just very politely said, well, you know, about 5% of the population thinks like you do. And he said, but I just have to tell you that based on the research, 
people who believe in something beyond themselves tend to be healthier. And there was this pause, and I'm looking at him like, uh-huh. And he said, so if I were you, I'd get a spiritual life. And after about, you know, 15 seconds, I went, well, how the hell do I do that? <laughs> I, I mean, it was just, it, it sounded like the craziest thing in the world to say to me. And so he gave me a, a copy of a book that he had co-written with a woman named Carolyn Mace. Oh, yeah. Her I am. And, yep. And um, they, they were research partners for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, Norm basically studied her hmm. and was blown away by what she was capable of doing. Right. And so um, I read the book, and then I discovered that Springfield had one New Age bookstore, and I went and practically lived there for a year. I, I probably bought 100 books, and, you know, that, that was the beginning. Just one thing led to another after that. That was, when was that? Uh, 1989. I was 24 okay. at the time, yeah. So you started gobbling up spiritual books. Sure did, yep. Ended did you, up, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I ended up at A Course in Miracles is where I finally landed. Okay. Um, that was kind of my, uh, I guess it was probably about 12 years, yeah. 12 years, the course was my, my thing. So you kind of surveyed the landscape, and A Course of Miracles really resonated with you. Yeah. And so yeah. You, you did that. Yep. And it was yeah. kind of freaky in a sense that, you know, it, you, you can't read A Course of Miracles without realizing there's this big Jesus thing there. Yeah. And, you know, where I live, <laughs> uh, getting mixed up with Jesus is, uh, is an interesting thing. And here I was getting mixed up with Jesus only way out in left field. Right. That was even stranger. Um, so yeah, it wasn't going to win you any uh, brownie no. points with the with the local. No, I, cer- <laughs> Baptist I certainly church. Didn't, I didn't tell anybody that I was reading right. the Course in Miracles. That's for sure. So the course, of, I don't know too much about the Course in Miracles, uh, but did it involve actual practices, or was it more like just a set of beliefs and whatnot? No, if you if you really do the book, um, you'll spend theoretically one year, more likely ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, doing what's called the workbook mm-hmm. and diving into it daily, hourly. So you go through meditation-type practices or whatever in yeah, a yeah, systematic it's, way? Yeah, the, there's some that look more like, um, well, what should we say, um, kind of almost Byron Katie-ish, you know, mm-hmm. some exercises. There's other things that are almost like a mantra said hourly. Mm-hmm. Um, meditations, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty complete thing. The problem with the course more than anything is it's just really difficult for most people to get a grip on what it's saying. Uh-huh. That's kind of the hard part. Just sort of abstruse and far out there. Yeah, and it's, it's written in a way to have an impact on you more than just understanding it. Mm. It's, it's kind of like a thousand-page Zen koan. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is. So what did it do for you? Um, it woke me up to a to a greater possibility mm-hmm. and it kind of set the stage it, it, yeah. it, it clued me into the fact that there was more to me than I thought mm. you know I, I'm not just this guy right you know I'm not this I'm not just this human flesh walking around the world which was you know I'd say a good out of those first 25 years of my life you know a good 20 of them were probably lived that way. Yeah. 
you know, I, I just didn't see any. I, I've always been fairly. Oh God! I just realized I live in Missouri. Missouri's the show me state. Right. And I've always been kind of that way, you know. Show I'm, me kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I don't really take things for granted. I don't really take things just because mm-hmm. you say so. Right. Um, kind of. I don't necessarily have to have evidence, but man, it's got to make sense at least. So since most spiritual things didn't make a darn bit of sense to me, I didn't see any point in going that direction. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of more and more that way myself, uh, more so than I used to be, actually, which is not to say that I don't give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, I don't say they're wrong, but right. but I don't sort of just swallow things whole because somebody says them, you know. Exactly. I mean, I think now I would, I would sum that up in a very simple teaching, um, one, that, um, one that you hear Adyashanti say a lot. And it's really just the the bottom line question to ask yourself about most things is, do you really know this is true? Yeah. I mean, do you actually know it? And of course, Byron Katie, that's her first question, too. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. Is it true? And, and when you really stop and ask that, it's amazing the things that just start going and going. Yeah. And, I mean, what there are you really very know? few things that you can say yes, you know, with any sort of certainty to. Yep. yep. Yeah. I mean, for <laughs> Something, you know, I mean, take something very matter-of-fact, you know, your brain. Mm -hmm. Do you know you have a brain? You know, I've never seen my brain. I've never, you know, I I have all this evidence to indicate there's something going on here. I have seen actual a a live human brain in a skull. Mm -hmm. I've actually seen surgery being done on, and which is quite bizarre. Mm -hmm. I've seen somebody jerk their arm from a stimulus to their brain. So, you know, I've... I guess I've actually seen some things that would lend me to believe, but you know, I, I don't think really one should deny um, as a habit uh, certain things about the world. But at the same time, there's a certain skepticism, a certain um, questioning attitude that one needs to have. Otherwise, you you'd be you'd be accepting all kinds of things that that really don't do you a bit of good to accept. Yeah. And I mean, there have been cases, to take the brain example, of people who it was discovered didn't have a brain. They they just had like a thin, you know, like a coconut sort of uh, layer of cells inside their skull, and the rest of it was fluid. And yet they were normal functioning human beings, and that, or else they had half a hemisphere and didn't realize it right. until there was some accident they had to be operated on, or something, and yet they were they were actually doing okay. But I mean, obviously, things like brains are a lot. Um, we take those for granted, and and we can f- be fairly certain that on some level we, they generally people have them. But right. then there there are other issues like you know are there angels? Is there reincarnation? Right. You know is there life after death or all those sorts of things? And you know, uh, you can't you can't put an angel on an operating table and and you know s- examine it. <laughs> so they, know, they, it all gets yeah. into the realm of faith. And really, when you get right down to it, the only way you're going to know, for instance. Um, about reincarnation is if you reincarnate. Right. I mean, at this moment, I don't have any memories of a, pre- a previous life. And, and yet, there's some pr- pretty good research from you know, know. people. Uh, yeah, that that makes it very convincing. And then there's another. We could go into that if you want to, but there's some other. There's some interesting questions to ask. You know, how do you know it was your life? If you if you remember a past life, right. how do you know it was yours? Yep. I mean, what does it even mean to be your life? 
and I mean, we can, it just keeps going and going. If you're, yeah. if you're open to the questioning, you start discovering that you know less than you think you do. Exactly. I think is the point. I've interviewed a couple of people who said that after their awakening, they came to the realization that, you know, there isn't any sort of, um, you know, discrete entity which migrates from life to life to life. It's, it's right. more like taking a bucket out of the ocean and, you know, maybe there's a few molecules of the, of the original bucket that was dumped into the ocean on the other side of the world, but it's, it's, a, it's a whole new bucket. Great and, you know, it's for, for me, that's neither here nor, the, here nor there. I mean, I have my opinions and beliefs, but they're just that, and who knows, and, you know. Well, to, to go along with that analogy, I'll just, I'll just say this. Um, there's, a, there's a man who I heard him give a couple talks. Um, he was someone that's associated with Adyashanti, and I, I really like the way he says it. He, he just says very simply, what's looking out of your eyes is what's looking out of my eyes. Yeah, that's and good. If, and if that's the case, then what's looking out of Napoleon's eyes uh-huh. is what's looking out of my eyes, yep. and on and on. I like that. Yeah. Or as the incredible string man put it, light that is one, though the lamps be many. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, um, who was that guy, by the way? Um, you know, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, doesn't matter if you I'll, can't I'll think of his name in a minute. I'm he's just curious because I'm going to be interviewing a guy that might He's be. a banjo player from Tennessee. Oh, um, Different guy then. Absolutely the most unusual person you would ever run into who has experienced awakening. <laughs> yeah. He's a good old boy from Tennessee who plays banjo at the Grand Old Opry. Cool. Ma- Mike, Mike Snyder. That's his huh. name. Mike Snyder. Very interesting. Yep. Yeah, really cool guy. Um, so after a dozen years, did you sort of uh, feel like your Course in Miracles karma had, had – uh, burned itself up and uh, you began to feel antsy for something different yeah that would be one way of saying it um i'll be honest with you the the thought that came to me at the time was um i need something more and the world of a course in miracles doesn't offer it Mm -hmm. um the course has a really interesting history um and um i've i've kind of I've kind of gotten lucky in that I got to know some, I've just over the years gotten to know some really interesting people in the world of A Course in Miracles. I was actually on the, sounds kind of crazy now that I think back on it, I was actually on the board of directors for an organization in Arizona that's involved with the course. And so I got to hear just, oh my God, the whole history of the thing. And, um, you know, it's one of those interesting stories. It it came into the world and it kind of got abandoned. Huh. Um, now, that's there will be those who will say, no, no, that's not really the case. But it wasn't like, well, to put it in very simple terms, it wasn't like some enlightened guy wrote the thing and was there to tell everybody what it said. If, if that makes sense, it it came through a channel, and she just really didn't want to have anything to do with it. Hmm. I mean, she got it out there and that was it. And then it was left in the hands of some really wonderful people, but, you know, they've, they've just done the best they could. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's helped innumerable people. It's had a huge impact on the world, but really when you get right down to it, if your gut says, I got to keep going, it's kind of a bit of a dead end at the moment at least. So well, at least it was for me. How about that? That's yeah, that that makes sense. You know, it's like it was a dead end for me. 
Yeah, and many, so I, many I things for many people are right. trans, transitional things. You know, right. you, 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 you do something and it eventually it outlives its usefulness for you, which is not to say it won't still be tremendously useful for the next oh, absolutely. guy. Absolutely. Yeah. But I just knew that, that there was – that I needed something more and I needed mm-hmm. something to go the next step. Yeah. And I had no idea what that was. Hmm. Not a clue. So what would you do, go back to the bookstore? <laughs> uh, no, actually um, – it's really kind of funny. Um, I had had this really bizarre experience um, at at the time. Uh, when was this? Ninety nine or yeah, it was ninety nine. Um, my uh, when I was I was married at the time, and um, my ex and I were uh, we went on a trip to Hawaii. She had a lot of family in Hawaii, and we came back and oh man, did I want to move to Hawaii? Yeah. Wow, I would have moved the next day. <laughs> And um, she and I did something we had never done before and never did again. We sat down together and meditated mm-hmm. to see what we might get. And weirdest thing, I, I, I'm not very prone to big, flashy experiences, but I had this kind of big, flashy experience. Saw pictures and heard words. And, hmm. and anyway, it, um, I, at the time, I was involved, as I said, with this organization in Arizona, in Sedona, actually. And um, so I was left with this, these words about moving to Sedona someday. Huh. Well, kind of put, put the end to the thought of moving to Hawaii. And it, was all, it all actually worked out really well because my mom actually ended up with emphysema and died a few years later. And so it was really good that I was here, and you know, I'm really glad I didn't move. Um, but, um, so around, I don't remember when it was, 2005, maybe I was sitting around thinking, okay, what, what that Sedona thing was all about. So I said, I thought, okay, let the Google gods tell me all about Sedona. So I, I Googled Sedona. And, uh, at the time, the first thing that came up when you Googled Sedona was the Sedona method. Oh yeah. Right. So, uh, well, that's interesting. So I pulled it up and went, ugh, no way. No, no, not a chance. And, um, but you know how those things work. You, you reject it the first 12 times, and it just keeps gnawing at you, and so you finally go buy the book. And Then I actually started going to Sedona to retreats with uh, the Sedona Method people, and um, about that time I got divorced. And, you know, my, my life kind of did this amazing flip-flop, and uh, I think this is fairly a fairly common trend in a lot of people's stories you know um i i I think i kind of got tossed out on my ear so to speak and kind of roughed up a little bit which forced me to get a lot more serious and a lot out of what uh tossed out of my comfort zone okay i was in this immense comfort zone did the sedona method get you out of your comfort zone no my life did and the sedona method was kind of was kind of the kind of the next piece of the uh, spiritual puzzle. Hmm. Um, it gave me a different way to go, a different direction. Um, and then, strangely, if you know anything about the Sedona Method or what you would read if you went online and looked at it, if you go to the retreats, you find out that it's a lot different in person than it is actually is in the books you would read. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the guy who teaches it, um, Hale Dwoskin, he's... Um, been really influenced by um, Ramana Maharshi and Nisargadatta and 
you know, more of the Advaita ilk. And so the teaching is a lot more geared toward, you know, what you would call spiritual awakening teaching. And so that really got me looking at, you know, really doing that more inner inquiry about what I am and who is actually sitting in this chair. And then that actually led me to Adyashanti and it's kind of all downhill from there. <laughs> Does the Sedona method actually prescribe self-inquiry type things like that? Not overtly, okay. but yeah, it, it's a you know this, I, you can tell it's the kind of intellectual scholarly bent in me. I, I really get into the the history of these things, mm -hmm. so I've I really tried to find out as much as I could about where the Sedona method came from, and yeah, it was uh, it's a very interesting story. I won't I won't bore you with the details, but. Um, yeah, the, the, the man who originally created it, um, he was one of those kind of, you know, his story actually was a bit like mine. He, you wouldn't have called him religious or spiritual in any way. He, instead of just feeling a little sick, he actually was sent home to die and um, just was determined that there had to be some answer to life, and that led him on a, a process that eventually resulted in awakening. Hmm. Um, and then he lived another 40 years. Wow. Yeah. It's really quite. He, I mean, he was completely healed from it, which was truly remarkable. Um, so there was. There's kind of the Sedona method itself is more, a, a bit more self-help oriented, but there's an undertone on it under it. There's a there's a, a, a base under it that really is more about awakening than anything else. Okay. But it's not really the the overt teaching that most people run into. Hmm. So. Cool. It was a good thing for me to run into, that's for sure. Yeah. Yep. So it, it added a piece to your puzzle. Definitely. And uh, so it sounds like Adya Shanti was the next major yeah. step. Yeah, Adya was a, was a big step. I, mm -hmm. I ran into his, somebody at, at a retreat in Sedona um, just kind of leaned over to me and said, you know, he's, he sounds a lot like Adya Shanti. And I, I said, who? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. usual. And... Um, that got me to looking at Adya's stuff online, and oh god, I, I think I ordered, I probably bought over 200 hours of his recordings. Wow! I, just, I listened to him constantly. Yeah, I was yeah. Really, it was a, there was a phase there where I I was just pretty, uh, was spending probably anywhere from eight to ten hours a day meditating or listening or doing something. That's amazing. I think I've I've got about 150 hours of his stuff on my computer, and I've I've listened to every single bit of it on my yep. iPod. Yep. Uh, in fact, I just calculated it because I know I have 6.2 days on there, so I just multiplied <laughs> that by 24. <laughs> um, and you know, it's it's like the funny thing is, and I'll probably say this to him when I interview him in a couple of weeks. It is like if somebody asked me to say, well, what is the essence of what he teaches? Oh. I'd have a hard time answering them. I'd just right. say, I don't know. He's just really clear. Yep. And, every, and when I listen to him, every single sentence is like a zinger, you know? <laughs> it, it, like, it lights something up. Let me get uh, a drink of water. Real yeah, quick. go ahead. So, uh, you know, so it's interesting. So how in, mean. Yeah. But well, you know, if you, one of the things Adya likes to say, I, I think I learned a lot from him not just in terms of spirituality itself, but in terms of um, what it really means to be a teacher. Yeah. Um, one of the things he really likes to say is that teachings are not meant, spiritual teachings, 
are not meant to be taken as um, as an as a a formal teaching. Mm-hmm. They're they're not meant to be dissected into an outline form that you can go, okay, this is point A, B, C, etc. The, the purpose of every teaching of his or any teacher for that matter is to speak to that in each of us mm. that is able to hear what's being said and that which is actually going to wake up. And, and it's speaking, the teaching speaks to that and whether the words that can be, you know, it could be a wordless teaching for that matter. You know, mm-hmm. people used to go sit with Raman in his cave and he wouldn't say a word. Right. You know, whatever the teaching is, it's speaking to something. It's speaking to more than the, the, the front persona ego mind. It's speaking to that which goes, which really can hear the teaching. And it's not meant to be really, you know, like I said, dissected and outlined and, you know, yeah. Point A, point B, point C. I'm like you, Rick. I, I couldn't tell you what Adya's teaching is. Honestly. Yeah, uh, right. Yet yeah, you've listened to a couple hundred hours. Right. It's, but it, it sort of it, it enlivens something as oh, you as you're listening. It just sort of it's like a little bellows, sort of blowing w- air on the fire, and <laughs> each each sentence is another squeeze of the bellows. I, d- I don't want to make Adya sound like he's um, he's some uh, Superman. Yeah, kind of God. Yeah. But I will tell you this. I, I went to the first time I saw him in person, I went to one of his retreats. Mm-hmm. And a uh, person got up and did a bunch of talking about what was going to go on at the retreat. We were sitting there waiting. And then that person leaves the stage. And I hear somebody start walking up from the back of the hall. And there's mm-hmm. like 350 people in this place. And like I said, I, I'm not big on, I don't have very many spiritual experiences. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, I, I, I have for years, though, had an had a experience of what I would call light inside mm-hmm. my head. And when I, when I heard this person start walking in the room, it was as if a 10,000-watt bulb went off in my head. Mm. And it was so bright, I felt like I was just sitting in, I was sitting in full sunlight with my eyes closed. Yeah. And I kind of let it go for a few minutes. I hear the person walk up to the front, go up on the stage, and I look up, and, well, there's Adya. Yeah, and you know, I think it it has more to do with my connection with him than anything else. But still, that that um, like I said, that teaching can take any form it wants to. And for me, at that moment, it took a a you know sunlight going off in my head. So, well, uh, just today, as I was listening to him, as I was cutting the grass, and he was talking about um, something along those lines about transmission and how there's a sort of a a power in presence or whatever word you want to yes, use it right. that that can be extremely um, transformative mm-hmm. on all levels, even your health and stuff. And you know, I've experienced this a number of times over the years with you know with Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, with Ama, the Hugging Saint. I mean, there are certain people whom you sit in their presence, and there is a, a darshan, to use the Indian word, right. which 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 is palpable. You know, it mm-hmm. really uh, it really zaps you if you are attuned to that person um, and I suppose with some people you don't even have to be that attuned because <laughs> you know the, the yeah. energy is, is it radiates out you know and, and you I wouldn't say out because I don't think it 
it sort of has that <clears throat> relative directionality, but it sort of enlivens everything in the vicinity. Mm -hmm. And Alma used the analogy of a, a brightly burning log, which um, if you put a sort of a an unlit log next to it, after a little while, the unlit log will be burning too. You mm. know, be, there's just sort of this contagion that takes place. Or if you if you take it, if you go back to uh, that little phrase from uh, the man Mike Snyder, what's looking out of your eyes is what's looking out of my eyes. Yeah. So what's looking out of Anya's eyes is the same thing that's looking out of your eyes. Mm -hmm. So just because I don't or you don't or whoever doesn't necessarily know at that moment what they are, it doesn't change the fact of what you are. Correct. So all we, you know, what we have going on is, is like meeting like. Mm -hmm. And you just happen to be the, the spot where that recognition is occurring. And sometimes it can be rather mind-blowing. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, it's like, you know, what's looking out of your eyes and my eyes is also what's looking out of my dog's eyes or what's looking out of, <laughs> out of a, a mosquito's eyes yes. and so on and so forth. But, you know, the question is, is this mechanism mm -hmm. with, uh, with the eyes and the ears and everything else, is it, um, is it in, in a fit condition to sort of recognize, to enable self-recognition, you know, to enable recognition of one's own essential nature, or is it not? And um, I think you know, one way, of, one one way of looking at spirituality is it's a it's a <clears throat> reorientation of the of the mechanism of the ap of the apparatus, you know, the, the whole makeup, so as to allow that recognition to take place. Yeah. I'd I'm sort of that. making statements rather than questions here at the moment. I'll get back sure. to questions. Sure, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, and and that's why you know, in some cases, uh, I find I, I I take objection to those in some spiritual circles who dismiss the whole um, value of practices. You know, saying oh they just reinforce the notion that there's someone who has to practice and so on and so forth. But practices, you know, if they're good ones, are like um, you know. Tune-ups. They 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 tune the physiology, and as Suzuki Roshi put it, you know, enlightenment may be an accident, but spiritual practices make you accident-prone. You know, I had heard Ken Wilber say that, and I didn't know he was quoting Suzuki Roshi. But now I'm I'm glad I know where that quote comes from. <laughs> I love uh, that's. I mean, that is absolutely apt. That's absolutely perfect. Yeah. I mean, we'd all like to think that we're going to have a Ramana. You know, that we're going to. Hear about somebody dying, lay down, 15 minutes later, boom, it's over, done, go live in your cave. I, yeah. But, you know, no. <laughs> and even it's, he sat and meditated for years after that. With oh, he had to. Bugs chewing on his legs and stuff, yeah. you know, uh, before he was he, moved to come out and speak. You know, in a, in a certain sense, you know, I don't want to say that he went into a, a psychotic state, but in a certain sense the the human being Ramana was shut down mm -hmm. and it took a long time to get the human being Ramana kind of back up to working again you know yeah it was that powerful well so. speaking of Ajay this is another thing I heard him saying just today now that I'm, rem I'm remembering specifics yeah. for the first time but you know he was saying how there has to be a sort of a <clears throat> an adaptation or an integration you know you can have a, a, sh yes. a shift a shift in consciousness but you really can't it has no practical significance until it's integrated uh, and, you know, then you learn to function in that shifted state. And, you know, it's an unfortunate point 
that um, you know you, I don't want to you always hate to sound critical or be critical and, and my, my point of what I'm about to say is not to be critical it's simply to point out what can happen and you see it all the time in the spiritual world there, there are any number of teachers out there who have experienced I mean there's no question absolutely no question that they've experienced awakening they've woken up period they yeah. have seen what they're you know they they know the end of the road and yet for various reasons sometimes because their teachers told them they were done sometimes because of, of the the good old ego jumping back in with both feet and you know they they've gone out with that realization clear teaching something very clear and yet it hasn't integrated and personally you know, as a as a human being, they're a wreck. Yeah. Um, they're addicted. To, I'll I'll just name a few. They're addicted to Valium. They're hitting on their their followers. They're abusing children. They're uh, they're 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 assholes from the word go. They're alcoholics. <laughs> they're womanizers. I mean, you know, I mean, this specific is, teachers come to mind. As uh, exactly. You say each I, of those things. <laughs> I don't I don't need to name any of them. Just, right. I'll just name their their faults and you yeah, know, they pop out. Of, I mean. And yet you call them on that stuff, and they say there is real. There's no one doing this. Oh, you know, it's it's yeah. crazy wisdom. Uh, you know, it's just it's happening. I'm fulfilling the karma of my you know chelas. Or <laughs> we have a word for that around here. Uh -huh. it, it comes out of the back end of a cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, look, look, you know, really and truly, I mean, the truth is the truth, right? But if the truth led, the only place it led was to being an absolute asshole to everybody in the world around you. What good is it? Screw the truth. Yeah. I'd rather have a really nice, pleasant human being than someone who knows the truth. I mean, honestly. Now, I, I say that with a bit of a, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. I suspect the truth, uh, I know the truth is far more, what's the word, transformative than that. It's not like, Everybody that, that bumps into the truth is going to walk around being a jerk mm -hmm. or have all these dysfunctions. But there certainly does seem to be the case that when one has a glimmering, even you know, from, from, from it's the smallest bit of realization to you know, almost the full Monty, that um, that, that, truth, that truth is going to get you in the end one way or another. It, it's almost like it's bound and determined to clean you out. And if yeah. it's got to do it through some really harsh stuff, it'll do it through some really harsh stuff. You know, I, I, just to name one name from our, from our little list there, uh, I doubt Osho sat around really loving the fact that he was sucking Valium down like candy. Yeah, you know, and nitrous oxide. Yeah, I mean, you know, there had to have, the man had to have looked in the mirror and just wanted to cry. You know, absolutely. I can't. I can't see it any other way. It's it's an interesting issue. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, and yeah. it's come up in the last uh, two, two of the last three interviews I did. Um, three interviews ago, Wayne Lickerman, he was talking about how there is no correlation between uh, behavior and awakening. And I, I kind of kept probing and prodding and, you know, trying to sort of say, yeah, but, you know, I mean, could Hitler have been awakened? Could, you know, uh, Charles Manson or, or one of these characters? And, you know, 
I, and we, we finally kind of got it down to the point, well, possibly way out on the on the tips of the bell curve there's that po- possibility mm. but it, but the you know the correlation although somewhat loose has got to be there to some extent that awakening is really going to transform right. your behavior and you know and i think part of the reason part a lot of people argue that it doesn't or, or shouldn't or needn't is that you know from from the perspective, subjective perspective of being awakened, at least at a certain stage, it can very often seem that there is no connection whatsoever mm. be, between the, the the so-called individual personality and body and so on, and that which you essentially are. The two seem to be, you know, unrelated. And so, how could one influence the other? You know, I see that, and yet, well, here we go. Here's a Here's a good old show-me-state kind of response. You know, the teachers that I'm most attracted to are the ones who not only have experienced their own awakening, but have spent the hours sitting in the chair cleaning their garbage out. And, you know, who do you want to sit with? Do you want to sit with someone that, you know, would just as soon hit you over the head with a baseball bat or someone that actually looks at you with love because they really honestly love. Yeah. I don't know. The one is so much more appealing. It's, you know, isn't that, uh, I think it's somewhere, it's a Jesus saying, uh, by their fruits you shall know them. It is a Jesus saying, yeah. There you go. So, you know, that, that to me, it, because really when you get right down to it, Rick, what in the world did we as the one, what in the world did we create this world for? Mm. You know? I mean, what's the point of it? I mean, on the one hand, it probably doesn't have a point. Nothing that you and I will ever be able to get, nail our fingers, you know, nail down. But it certainly seems to have certain currents, and it's really intriguing to watch what humanity responds to. Mm. Humanity responds to Humanity responds to Mother Teresa's far more than it responds to awakened assholes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. A, just as a general thing, people gravitate toward loving kindness. And yeah, you know, there have been some loving, kind people that have been run over by a bus, certainly. But, you know, we, we remember the Gandhis. We remember the Mother Teresa's. We... We remember Jesus as described as the Prince of Peace. Mm-hmm. We remember, you know, some of the most revered people and throughout spirituality are, are some of the you know most gentle souls you could ever ask for. Gentle, well, I say gentle. I don't want to get that that wishy-washy gentle. You know, the kind of gentle that you couldn't you you couldn't knock over. You know, right. that kind of gentle. Yeah. Firm gentle. Yeah, probably you couldn't mess around with Mother Teresa. Matter of fact, I heard she kind of had a little bit of a, you know. Yeah, she was a dynamo. Yeah. But uh, but by her own admission and by Gandhi's, you know, neither of those people were self-realized in the sense that we 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 use that term. Um, and yet, you know, to harken back to your earlier phrase that we're all the same person looking out of different eyes, uh, we're all the same thing looking out of different eyes. You know, fr- from that perspective that thing if we want to call it that yeah actually you know we're all sense organs of the infinite mm-hmm. and we all we all as such have different roles to play right and uh you know perhaps ultimately uh the goal of 
one's life or of life is to you know self to, for self to realize itself in each individual expression that it can mm -hmm. uh but that's not its only purpose i mean obviously it's you know all sorts of roles are needed to be played oh sure by all sorts of people but you know you, you were saying earlier about um does life have a purpose and it's hard to say whether it does but if you think of it if you look at the trend of things the way things seem to work um, there's there's this always this trend toward greater complexity of form and greater sort of uh, ability in that complexity to um, to manifest in the intelligence that's sort of essential to life to to express and display and and uh, you know live that innate intelligence that you know, in the deepest sense, has given rise to the whole universe. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm trying to say? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's an evolutionary current. In other words, there's mm -hmm. a, there's a there's a force. There's a drive, and it it seems to be motivating everything from the you know grain of sand to the wildflower to you know human animals and humans and everything else. And and it's it's as if we're all in this current, and the current is is flowing along, leading us and taking us toward. Uh, well, in a word, higher evolution. Not in the Darwinian sense, but right, u right. ultimately in the spiritual sense. It's, it's certainly, it certainly seems to be taking us in a direction it wants to go. You know, I, I don't... Yeah, I guess we could say it's, in a certain sense, higher. Um, mm -hmm. I, think, um, I think the only thing I would disagree with you about in what you were saying uh -huh. is that it's, it still makes it sound like we have some willfulness involved in this, and I've <laughs> I have, I've become. But whose will is it? Exactly, I've become quite. I've become quite the radical with regard to who's actually driving this this uh, this boat. Yeah. And uh, wow. <laughs> well, yeah, we, you know, I, we are, I'm sorry. We go ahead. We are puppets for life. I think. Yeah. The only way of saying it. We are puppets of life. Yep. I interviewed uh, Chuck Hillig about a year ago, a year and a half, and uh, I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, he took that nursery rhyme, row, row, row your boat, and gave it a very beautiful interpretation. If you think of the words, you know, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Okay, there's a stream. You're, right. going, you're going in with the stream, right. <coughs> and you're going gently. You're not right. thrashing about, but you are rowing. You know, there's, yes. some, there's some sense of, okay, sure. I'm, not, I'm not just going to let it go off into the branches. I'm, I'm giving it some... You know, insofar as I perceive myself to have individual volition, I'm exercising it gently. Uh, and then merrily, 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 merrily repeated four times for emphasis. Yes. Life is but a dream. Life is but a dream. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing when you think of it that way. Huh. I never thought of that. That's cool. Yeah. And But you know, get back to your point about authorship of action, which I talked a lot about with Wayne Lickerman. Um you can sort of with any issue like that I think you can take um, you know various perspectives you mm -hmm. know individual perspective ultimate perspective everything in between and um, my sense of it is that if you perceive yourself as having volition as as having some sense of authorship 
then exercise it wisely. You know, you've been talking a lot about compassion and so on. Sure. And if 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 you reach a stage at which there, uh, you know, you are just completely a witness to, you know, your activity, and there's no sense that you are doing anything at all, that it's just happening all by itself, then more power to you. You know that, but don't mix stages. You know, don't take that a description mm-hmm. of that stage and try to apply it. To, to your current stage if it's not something you're actually living because that can really muck things up. Yeah, I would well, I'm buy just, that. I'm not really robbing this bank. You know, it's, you know, it's just, uh, it's it, just... It appears to be getting robbed. In reality, there is no bank. <laughs> it's just God's will. Yeah. <laughs> it's God's will to rob this bank. <laughs> you know, there's, you're right. There is, um, there's definitely a, um, um, a trap that one can run into with that. You know, I mean, there, there's if um, if somebody asks me, you know, do you want to eat a hamburger or a steak tonight? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna answer. And apparently, that I think the thing to recognize with all this is recognize what's going on. I mean, certainly it seems like Tom's making a choice, and Tom's gonna answer. You know, something's gonna come out of my mouth, but isn't it? amazing to notice the simple and obvious fact that you don't have the slightest idea what's going to come out of your mouth till it actually comes out of your mouth yeah i mean how many times have you actually been sitting there going wow you know boy i'd sure like a hamburger i'd sure like a hamburger hey tom you want a hamburger or a steak uh steak (laughs) you know i mean isn't that remarkable that that happens? And that happens all the time. Mm. I mean, we do that constantly. We're constantly going left when we think we would go right. You know, when it actually comes down to that moment of seeming choice, how really little choice we actually seem to have. I don't want to say we don't have any choice because that sounds too absolutist, but I've yet to find where I really, where, where this, wherever this little thing that I call me really actually gets to choose. I, I don't I haven't really been able to find that actually happening. But do do you have no you can't like find it as a little little guy inside, you know, pulling levers, but do you do you not have a sense of of personal volition? Maybe you don't. But do you, if I say Tom, raise your arm. You know, do you have a choice of whether you're going to obey that instruction or not? Well, No. Really? I mean, I'm either going to or I'm not. I, 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 I... Well, if I say, Tom, poke yourself with a pin, you, 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 know, you might say, heck no, you know, I'm, I'm going right. to choose not to do that. I don't have to follow this guy's instruction. But here's, but here's the question. The question is, when I tell you I'm not going to do it, right, mm-hmm. am I telling you because I'm not going to do it or am I telling you because I've chosen not to do it? Yeah. See, do you see the distinction? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so take something more, you know, that people are, what's, what's something more tip? Oh, here we go. We all know beyond a, sh- well, no, that gets, I don't want to get, I don't want to choose an example that's got, you know, potential physiological addictive aspects to it. Although that seems even more clear. I mean, nobody in their right mind smokes a cigarette today. That you, nobody. If you could choose if you really could choose to smoke a cigarette or not, you wouldn't. I mean, it's that obvious. Yeah. And yeah. yet people do. 
Right. And obviously, you know, we could get into the whole nature of addiction, but, you know. If they knew what was actually going on. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at what most people do on a daily basis, how much of their, their responses to life are, are that programmed and automatic? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've had conversations with people on any number of subjects. One of my favorites is when people, especially spiritual people, love to, uh, they love to spiritualize sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows? Maybe there's a massive spiritual component to it. I don't know. But I will tell you this. The vast majority of people's responses to sex is almost identical to an addiction. Hmm. I mean, if you look at the physiology of, of you know, the typical sexual experience... If you look at the if you look at the neural chemistry that goes on in the brain from an orgasm, um, not a whole lot of difference to shooting heroin. <laughs> it's it's a very similar thing. I mean, people are you know for more or less, we're very we have a similar response to an addiction to sex. And hey, you know, thank God for the human species because it drives us to reproduce. You know, it's it's got great evolutionary. I mean, in terms of human evolution, it's got great utility. You know make the reproductive action so intensely pleasurable, people will do ridiculous, stupid things constantly to do it. Right. And, wow, do they ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Humanity loves to mess itself up around sex. There's Mm -hmm. just no question about it. But, you know, I mean, so, I mean, that's, uh, again, we could, we could, when we put it in terms that, you know, where we can point to things like addiction and things like that, it becomes very obvious that you're not you're not, you are not choosing. But I think you can make a pretty good case for just about any aspect of human behavior. You're being far more run by something else, whether it's the subconscious, God, addiction, whatever you want to call it, versus, you know, this me making choices. Hmm. Your cigarette example brought Nisargadatta to mind, who, of course, was addicted to them. Yes. You know, yep. and gave plenty of people secondhand smoke in addition to <laughs> profound wisdom. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's remarkable to me. I mean, my my mom, my mom continued to you know even after she found out she had emphysema, and knew she was on the way to lung cancer. Um, you know, you'd still catch her smoking a cigarette here and there. Yeah, fifty years yeah. she couldn't quit. Unbelievable. But, I mean, the essential question here, I think, is, you know, sure, we can understand the physiology of addiction and the, act, you know, the cycle of action, impression, desire, and, and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, that kind of begs the question, well, is there a person, or not, not a person, is, is, there, um, is there any choice whatsoever that can be exercised to override such tendencies, you know, to steer the course of life in a different direction. I mean, what attitude should one adopt, if any? You know, just a sort of a, a fatalistic attitude, I'm just going to do whatever I do, or or can there be sort of a, you know, can one have a sort of a uh, go get them kind of spirit, where, okay, well, I'm going to improve my life in this way, or, or is all that kind of predetermined, and wh- whichever mm-hmm. attitude you have, you don't have, you, you didn't even have a choice to have that. You know, it's far more in the in the realm of predetermined, and I don't want to use predetermined. You know, I would almost I'm going to coin a new phrase because I've never thought of this before. 
it's almost spontaneous determined. I mean, again, we come back to what's looking out of my eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just, we, you know, if we, if, we, if we stay with the notion that's what's looking out of my eyes is looking out of your eyes, if that which is looking out of my eyes is the very thing that is the blood flowing through my body, if that's the very thing that's the rock, the trees, the, the desk, the computers, the sky, the sun, and every single aspect of existence, if, if the very awareness, which is aware of what's going on, is the actual substance of everything, then what's choosing? Mm-hmm. You see, I mean, the word choose almost becomes nonsensical because it's it's the totality doing whatever it does i don't don't think you could use the word choose yeah how does the totality choose you know i mean it's choosing itself i mean that seems well it only makes sense on a relative level i mean if if you're going to use the word if you're going to use the word water glass yeah, as being a thing which has some existence that. You know, in, independent of my hand, right. uh, then on that level you could also use the word choose. You know, but but if you really want to boil everything down to its essence, there is no water glass, there is no hand. You know, right. it's all pure being. It's appear, all appearing as water glass, appearing right. as hand, right. and so on. And so so, on the one hand, yeah, of course. You, I think you asked me earlier, do I have any perception of 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 individual choice? Mm-hmm. And I think what where one ends up is one ends up just as you know you, you don't stop seeing the water glass you also don't stop seeing choice I mean that's part of the human experience you know but at the same time um, as this whole awakening thing goes deeper and deeper you become less and less hooked into the fact that you're doing any choosing Yeah. I mean there's because you're not Ultimately, you're not. That's the bottom line. The key, though, as um, one of your favorite teachers and mine likes to say, as Adya always likes to quote one of his teachers, you know, um, yes, it's all one, but a fat lot of good that'll do you if you don't know it. <laughs> right. So, yes, you're not making any choices, but it doesn't do you a darn bit of good to know that unless you know it. Yeah. Unless it really has become the way you live it's not really going to do you a lot of good. So, of course, there's still the experience of choosing, but, you know, let's be real. What's, what's making all this turn? What's making it all happen? Right. And know it doesn't just mean sort of have an intuitive understanding of it, having listened to some talks and read some books. You know, there's, there's a Tibetan saying, which is that uh, don't mistake understanding for realization. Yes. And, th- and then the second part of it is don't mistake realization for liberation. Yes. <laughs> Those are uh, there's a there's a Zen phrase that I absolutely love. To encounter the absolute is not yet enlightenment. Very good. Yeah. That that if you're going to hang up a spiritual teacher shingle, you should be required to remember that one daily. Yeah. Don't and think that because you've seen, because you've had this whatever happened to you, doesn't mean you're you're done. Right. And uh, th- and this is a common theme in my interviews because there there are a lot of people who feel that it does mean you're done you know that the, they'll have an awakening it'll be very intoxicating very sort of profound and and seems like that whatever it is about the person's experience that feel, feels to them like what more could there be this is it you know right 
and uh, I actually have a friend who thought he was enlightened for like a dozen years or so and then eventually realized he wasn't at all you know oh, man. Should, <laughs> um, I don't know why people don't like this idea it's, it, it, people who feel this way it, it would seem to me that you know uh, I don't know I don't know why. It, it would seem to me that they they would be inspired by the notion that there could be even more enrichment, more unfoldment, more right. clar more clarity or whatever. But for some reason, it's, it's very common for people to to sort of feel like this is it. You know, uh, there couldn't be anything anything more because there's no one to gain anything more, and and so on and so forth. You know, actually, Rick, I'll tell you, it's made me this very thing we're talking about has made me almost want to ban the word enlightenment. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> I, I, of course, we would just invent another word, but enlightenment has got all these connotations, all these you know, super magical mystery, super being, whatever you want to attach to it, you know. And there's so many myths. There's so many people out there who, you know, he's enlightened, she's not enlightened. He, da 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 da, and. Good Lord, you know, it's done. A, it's it's it points to something really real and vital, and at the same time, it's it's a trap. Yeah. I mean, you know, probably the only the only way that you're done is probably when you die. I I don't know and, that I don't and know even that, then you may not be done. And you, I know. And the only right. uh, let me put it okay. Let's let me let me redo that one. The only way Tom Stein is done mm -hmm. is when this body gets laid down. Yeah. And then whatever's uh, looking out of these eyes will have another experience after that. I'm yep. pretty yep. certain that that'll take place. And whether it it contains a lot of the uh of the baggage that we call Tom Stein or not right. is a is a moot point, who knows. And where will it go? What will it do? Will there be yeah. will I experience the causal realm or the that <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> read read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. <laughs> so uh so let's get back to you a little bit more. Um, okay. You know, what is it in your experience that has informed all these things you've been saying? I mean, I don't feel like you're just sort of spouting philosophy that you, uh, you know, find makes sense to you. There must be some experiential foundation for the convictions you have. Maybe conviction is too strong a word, but, sure. um, you know, and, and, and how did you get to that point? I mean, what is it? You, you mentioned we kind of left off your story with meeting Adya and, and mm. he hearing a bunch of audios and going to a, a retreat or something. But take us from there. Um, well, um, let's see. I guess probably the to answer both of those would be, um, you know, it's really funny. Um, when this first happened to me, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I was... Um, I was much more interested in talking about it at the time, but now that time has gone on, I, f I find myself, uh, I don't want to say reticent to talk about it. I just, it's, it's a funny thing. It just seems so, in retrospect, it seems so ordinary, even though I guess it isn't. But um, about, I don't know, I guess it was probably about six months after going to that retreat with Adya. Um, I sat down one evening to to meditate or do some kind of process. I don't really know what I was intending, but I sat down, and um, the um, 
when I sat down in the, my chair, I just had this overwhelming desire to just rest. I just wanted to just sit there for a few minutes and just rest. And I just relaxed. And I was just sitting there, and I have no idea how much time went on. Maybe, I think it was no more than a minute or two. And um, then um, this thought kind of ran through my head real quickly. It was, I mean, it felt very, it didn't really even feel like my thought, if you know what I mean. And um, the thought was, um, it's kind of weird in retrospect, but the thought was, um, whenever you say, I am, there's always this emphasis on the word I, but never on am. And as soon as that word am left my mouth, or left my mental mouth, I had this experience of, um, it was like dropping through a trap door. You know, it was like, um, it was like the bottom just dropped out. And it was just, it, it was more clear at that moment than any moment I've ever experienced of anything ever in the world that this word I doesn't mean anything. I mean, it literally, there's, there's nothing that it refers to. I mean, it's a word. And, it, and you know, if, if we say microphone, I, you go like this. But that word I, I mean, I knew as, as in a way that I can't even begin to tell you I knew that that word meant nothing. And I started laughing. And I sat there just sitting. I, must, I don't know how long I sat, but it was probably a good 10, 20 minutes just going, I'll be damned. I'll be damned. And I was you know, like, I just can't believe it. I'll be damned. And then the word I, I started laughing every time I said the word I because I was saying a word that didn't mean anything. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I spent about 24 hours unable to say the word I without breaking into hysterics, which was, <laughs> which was kind of weird. Fortunately, I was, my son was at his mom's house, and so I was quite alone, so I could be all weird. And, you know, I, I, it was, well, you know, it's what, it's what odd you would refer to as an initial awakening. Mm -hmm. And so there I sat, you know, and so... To answer your question, though, about what's... Okay, that, that would be the answer to, to some degree, what's informed some of these thoughts I've been sharing with you. Mm -hmm. um, that's informed that from the standpoint of... Um, it took away some things that I thought I knew. I'm like, who the hell I was? <laughs> Yeah. You know what I was. It took that away. You know, I, it's 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 been impossible. I mean, even though I can get wrapped up in 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 what we could call Tom stuff, um, even though you know I, things can still seem to have a sense of me to them. Um, you can never unsee what you've seen. You know. Yeah. You, 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 you can never you can never be a virgin again <laughs> and sure enough um, so you know when you when you when you start seeing in a very real experiential non intellectual way 
that this this self that we've been spending almost 24/7 for our entire lives focused on is not even doesn't even really exist then uh, then you know it, it kind of has a tendency to change things uh, yeah it changes the way you look at the world changes the way you think about the world changes the fact that you even think <laughs> um, certainly so it was a real shift that. for you yeah definitely mm. definitely so um, but did you find a week or two later that you just sort of gotten back into the same old same old or was it was it really a shift which was irreversible and and both. things were different thereafter both oh both. okay it I got back into the same old same old but it wasn't the same old same old uh-huh. sometimes honestly there have been times it's been like I mean sometimes I have sat I have sat thinking to myself how in the world is this possibly happening I mean how is this even you know how it's just remarkable to me that the 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 um, the grooves that have been worn into our mental emotional system because you can see in no uncertain terms that it's just as empty as you could ask for and yet there it is and so I've, I've, I've been fortunate I think to know to, to, to have had enough help along the way to know that those are just opportunities for, for greater clarity there, there are opportunities for greater seeing, and so, fortunately, they meaning that sort of awakening you had when you sat there and relaxed. The, no, I'm talking about the times when you're sitting there going, "Holy crap!" You know, how can this? How how can I be experiencing this again? Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, how this how yeah. this mental emotional junk can come back at you? Right. How it can still be, it still seems to have a life of its own, even though it's clear. It, I don't know. I think it was. I don't know if it was Ramana who who coined this phrase, or someone of his ilk did. The analogy of the fan being unplugged. Oh yeah, I was just thinking that analogy. Yeah. When, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fan's been unplugged. Right. Keeps I mean, that's, spinning. That's clear, but you know, the darn thing just hasn't quit spinning. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that it ever does. To be honest with you, I, I would be lying to you if I said, and the fan will quit spinning. How do I know? I don't know that it will. It might. Not Seems like it spins all of one's life. I mean, I, I, I've never could be. Yeah, I've never seen anyone that apparent appeared to have been spared, you know, the onslaught of challenging circumstances. Um, even the greatest yeah. saints I've met, you know, they they still have their issues. It's, oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, once you once you start diving into it, it's really remarkable um, how deliciously flawed our saints have been yeah you know yeah um and and what's really fun is how their followers never want you to know those things i right. love that part yeah um i think it was yogananda who had very painful feet uh-huh. and he could barely walk on his own feet oh. um you know i mean let's be honest ramana was beautiful but at the same time he was kind of you know not really a very functional human being right he, Kind of sat in a loincloth in a building. Lived a recluse life. Yeah, you know. Although um, he did uh, engage himself in editing and you know, yeah, yeah. you know, various pro. And in fact, he went and worked in the kitchen, did stuff like that. Yeah. You know, to, yeah. But he, but whatever, whatever the particular flow of that experience for Ramana was, it resulted in a person that probably wasn't going to go out and get a job. You know? No, 
You're right. You know? yes. He had a, yeah. he had a, he had a certain limitations. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, I love one of Gandhi. Um, we could debate about Gandhi's uh, where Gandhi was on on the relative scale of things, but I love one of Gandhi's followers saying that uh, it takes a lot of people to give Gandhi to keep Gandhi living in poverty. <laughs> I love that. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, it reminds me of Dolly Parton saying, "It costs a lot to look this cheap." <laughs> <laughs> oh, she does it well. She does it so well. And I should point out that just down the road from me is good old Branson, Missouri, where oh, cool. Dolly has her uh, one of her. What does she call the thing the Dixie Stampede? Ah, okay. <laughs> So was that awakening that you had sitting in the chair there? I guess we could call it an awakening. I think mm-hmm. you called it an initial awakening. Yeah. Were there were there subsequent awakenings of of uh, rel- you know comparative significance? Um. Or have there of been comparative significance? You know, other milestones yeah. that you could look Pro- back on and think, okay, this was another big jump. You know. Uh, you know, that's the funny thing, Rick. I think, I think my experience is probably similar to others in that they're not as big after that because yeah. they don't seem as big because they're right. not, I mean, but there've definitely been, it, it's more like an ongoing thing, but there've been moments. I mean, you know, um, sitting and looking at a tree and being the tree, you know, mm-hmm. little things like that. Um, one time I was an airplane. That was kind of fun. <laughs> well, you know, you're like you light a match in a pitch black room, and it's, whew, what a contrast! Yes. You light a light a second match, just as much bright. It's contributing just as much as the first match right. did, but it doesn't seem like that much of a contrast this time. Yep. Hmm. You know, I, I. It's funny though. I I love the. I would rather point. Hmm, interesting, given our conversation earlier, um, I'm more inclined to point out. Less the. Oh, the flashy spiritual stuff, mm-hmm. and more the uh, transformative aspects. What, what has it, what has it done? You know, what, how has it moved in the world? Uh-huh. For it, you, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. Um, well, um, I'd been married for uh, thirteen years, mm-hmm. and um, my ex and I we split up. We had a five-year-old son. And, um, you know, it seemed crazy at the time, and it still seems crazy in a certain respect, and yet it's the most natural thing in the world to me. Um, my ex and I live next door to each other. We have houses. Even now, you mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We live right next door to each other. Uh-huh. And my son just he goes, goes back, and forth. back and forth. And I made it a real... Well, no, I didn't. I started to say I made it a conscious intent, but I did not. I felt like I didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. I felt like because of my love for my son, um, I had to love his mother as much divorced as I did when I was married to her. Hmm. And that kind of drove me um, for a good couple of years. And um, it, it eventually, it, one of the effects of that was... Um, after, it's going to sound kind of, uh, it's not going to sound very manly, but after about a year of uh, us being split up, I went through a month where every time I saw her or talked to her, I broke down and sobbed, and I couldn't stop. 
I in, her, just, in her presence? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Wow. I couldn't. I couldn't help myself. And what was your um, feeling? What? Why you're doing that? I had no idea. Huh. I, I was just like, it, and, and in hindsight, I can tell you that it was uh, that it was some sort of releasing, letting go, the, you know, just letting the emotional attachments dissolve, and letting what really existed there to be there. And so now that you know, it's been it's been six years um, since we split up, and you know. I actually think I like the woman better now than I did when we were married. And I'm pretty certain I love her more now than I did when we were married. Mm-hmm. And yet there's zero, I mean, not even a hint that she or I would ever want to be together. Has she gotten remarried or does she have boyfriends? And no, stuff she's, like she's dated quite a bit. And, uh-huh. You know, she's kind of gone her own way and done her own thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we get along great and... I'm just, I'm amazed. You know, do you I mean, get do you get together for meals once in a while and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And my, you know, I, my son definitely knows that his parents, you know, are divorced and they're, you know, they're, they're never going to be married again. And he thinks it's great. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got two parents that treat him like, well, honestly, you know, my parents stayed together till the day my dad died. And honestly, I think, my ex and I make a better family for my son than my mom and dad did, you know, <laughs> staying together in the house. <laughs> oh, I could definitely say the same thing. I mean, you know, gee, I mean, yeah. so, you know, I, 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 I'm just, I'm grateful every day that, you know, I have this by the, you know, I even have friends that they still can't really figure out how, how I do this. Yeah. But I don't really do it. It just is kind of the way it's done, you know? Yeah. And, and so, I guess th- what you're saying, and, and the reason you brought it up, is that you're offering this as an example of the kind of influence right. that this spiritual shift has had on your behavior. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you know, you're not supposed to love your ex-wife as much as I do, mm-hmm. but I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it makes life a hell of a lot easier. So, yeah. 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 Definitely. So one thing I'm wondering, Tom, is, um, you know, what is your subjective experience as you go through your day? In other words, let's say you're walking down the street, you're driving a car, you're eating food, you're doing all the normal things people do. Do you find yourself uh, reflecting from time to time? I'm sure you don't think about it constantly because that would be unnatural. But do you find yourself thinking from time to time, it sure is interesting living as I now am, seeing the world as I now see it, seeing myself as it, as I now do, compared to what I was like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Such a different perspective on, on life, or not. No. No? No, that doesn't... It, it, you know, it, it's funny. Just just as I was, I, was, I was hearing you ask that question, Rick, and the thought that came to me was, that makes it sound too special. special. I mean, it's just it. Well, the first time I heard somebody say that that waking up was the most ordinary thing in the world, I thought that sounded silly. But that's why I said I, I've gotten to the point almost where it's I, I just it's almost not even. I mean, it's funny that I sit here in front of a camera and talk about it every week, but. 
I don't talk about it personally, you know? Yeah. Because it just, I mean, you didn't, you didn't want to do these interviews to talk about my excretory functions. It's just, <laughs> well, I wasn't going to ask you about those. I mean, everybody <laughs> does it, you know? It's just so ridiculously ordinary. Forget the, the gross aspects of it, but, you know, it's just, I mean, it's just ordinary. It's, Why would you even talk about that? Well, everybody does it, and, you know, yeah. and for every awakened person who has become accustomed to that state, if we want to, uh, state's not a good word, but you know what I mean. Um, no, uh, it becomes ordinary in the sense that you know you're not kind of ooing and eyeing and drooling and you know yeah. it's like you're just living your life. Uh, but sometimes I just find it fascinating. You know, like I was in a business meeting this week and it lasted for a couple of hours. I'm sitting around a business table, a conference table with a whole bunch of people, and you know, I talked quite a bit. Other people talked, and I sort of almost entertained myself during the meeting by just ob- observing with some fascination and delight uh, of you know, kind of what my perspective it was yeah. on that, on just what was on the experience of, of just being alive, having this meeting. Sure. And, and what was charming about it was like, there's the, you know, for my, in, in my case, there was this, just this profound kind of bubbly silence, you know, just deep mm-hmm. kind of silence and uh, joy kind of, as if bubbling up out of that silence, and it, and at the same time, I'm talking about all this kind of computer stuff and all that I needed to talk about sure, with people. But sure. it, it just is like delightful, you know. This is like, yeah. isn't this sweet? I know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. It, it 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 it. Yes, there 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 there. The the I'll tell you what I have more than anything else is. Usually, it's a memory, of something 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, uh, this seems to occur more lately because um, it seems like everybody I went to high school with uh, has found me on Facebook. <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so if I bother to actually you know, pay attention to what they're all posting in Facebook, um, it usually tends to trigger old memories, you know, and I, I see a name and I'm like, my God, I, I haven't thought of that person in literally 30 years. This is really remarkable. And what I find more than anything else, it's not so much a, um, it's less of a wow about right now, and it's more of a, almost a stunned disbelief that there was some other way of seeing all this 30 years ago. Yeah. That's what's really more the. It's more like, huh? Well, I did that. That couldn't have really. I nah. I mean, I just like I. It's like my own my own memories aren't even really real anymore. You know? Yeah. I just it's like ah, it just doesn't even make any sense. I mean, it it. I think that's the thing more than anything else. This has become so ordinary that that actually seems extraordinary. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, Maharshi. That seems remarkable. Maharshi used to talk about enlightenment as being normal life, normal human life. He said everything other than that is sort of subnormal, <laughs> abnormal. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. It's funny sometimes when I hear criminal trials, you know, and they're they're arguing whether the person should be rent, you know, defined as insane or not. I, my thought is, of course they're insane. <laughs> <laughs> like, why did they kill somebody if they weren't insane? <laughs> God's sake. I mean, does, does a rational person <laughs> rape somebody? Yeah, oh really. 
Yeah, it's just exactly. where, where we want to, you know, put the bar as far right. as what sanity is. <laughs> just sane enough so we can kill him. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I bet you, speaking hypothetically here, of course, but I bet you if you were to somehow magically be instantly transported to, you know, the state of mind or consciousness or whatever that you were in 30 years ago, Oh. You'd find yourself, you'd be writhing on the floor in agony. And conversely, if you were, you know, somehow to be transported from that to this, you'd probably find yourself in ecstasy. But we acclimate very well, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, hey, it's normal. Yep, yep, I agree. Yeah, yeah I, I would probably have a panic attack. <laughs> yeah. Yep, probably so. Yeah. Alrighty, well... Is there anything that you feel like we ought to have touched on that we didn't? Hmm. Um. No, not right. really. I mean, we covered. Seems like we covered all the spiritual bases. Yeah. Quite um, well, as a matter of fact. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um. So you do a, like a little satsang. Firstly, you do a little email thing that I've subscribed to for about a year, and I always enjoy getting those. I always read them. Oh, uh, oh good. Yeah, I always read them, and I always enjoy them. I always think, right on. That's really, I like that, you know? So oh, people can go to your website, which I will link to from my website, and they can okay. sign up for that if they'd like to get that email. Yeah, uh, good, because my goal is to hit 100. I'm up to 40, 48 shortcuts. A friend of mine gave me that name for him. I... I I absolutely hate that name, but honestly, I don't can't think of anything else better to call yeah. them. Shortcuts on the spiritual journey. What the heck? Yeah, well, they're nice. Keep doing yeah. them. Good. You go good. on, Thank go you. on past the hundred if you like. Okay. And uh, go do 108 at least. And um, also, you give satsangs now. Uh, yes. Yeah, you have some very nice equipment there, and uh, yes. it's a uh, a video satsang, right? That you do right. o- online yep. every mm-hmm. every weekend or something. Yes. Just about, uh, I'm trying to do three times a month, mm-hmm. um, on the weekends typically. Okay. But yeah, I um, it's I do it live streaming video over mm-hmm. the internet, and so people can find out about that if they go to your site also, which is yeah, what TomStein.com is it? Yep. yep. Yeah. There's a schedule um, on this on my site that tells the upcoming sought songs, and then um, about when you see the time on there, about 30 minutes before that time, I the the page to view the uh, with the video player goes live. Yeah. So that you can just tune in and watch. And then um, you won't find it if you go there now, but hopefully by the end of August, I, I'm having my site redesigned uh-huh. to put more of an emphasis on video. Right. Because uh, I've really gotten into the video, obviously, with all this equipment. And um, I'm going to have um, all of the sought songs that I've done so far will be available um, on uh, for audio downloads. Like an archive. Uh, yeah. yeah, pretty, you know, minimal cost, um, mm-hmm. just enough to cover bandwidth and expenses. Uh-huh. And um, then I'm going to uh, do a subscription service uh, for the videos. So you'll be right. able to subscribe, and that'll give you access during for a month to all the satsangs I do that month, plus the entire archive. Mm-hmm. So you can watch the satsangs online to your heart's content. Good. So I wanted to make it... I kind of wanted to do a little twofold thing. I wanted to make the the live presentation, you know, totally free and available to anybody, and then um, have the uh, have the ability to go and watch them later or listen to mm-hmm. them later. So well, I listened to a couple of them and I uh, enjoyed them. Oh, good. They're good. Good. Glad. Kind of, uh, you know, I kind of like your 
down to earth <laughs> what you see is what you get kind of a style yeah. you know <laughs> yeah yep i'm i'm i know uh my son uh it i clearly obviously from the way i talk and the way i look at I mean, the word hillbilly doesn't apply but <laughs> my son gets a kick out of calling me a hillbilly because you know these these phrases will just escape my mouth they yeah. just you know good old midwestern country expressions that you can you know i just i i can't escape my roots that's for sure yeah well ultimately we're all growing out of the same root yep ultimately <laughs> good so thanks tom so yeah. uh, i've been speaking with tom stein on uh i think episode number 82 of buddha at the gas pump which is an ongoing series of interviews with people, uh, generally what I would define as ordinary people, who have had spiritual awakenings. Um, I think ultimately everyone is ordinary, but sometimes people get to seeming kind of extraordinary, and we we you know begin to associate specialness with with spirituality or with spiritual awakening, and then we begin to feel like it couldn't possibly happen to us. Um, so part of the motivation of this series is to you know just speak with folks who are living relatively ordinary lives, um, whether or not they have you know dedicated themselves to doing this full time as a teacher, and uh, to see from their example how it shows up in a great variety of ways. And if it can happen to them, there's no reason it can't happen to you. <laughs> so that's the idea. So thanks for watching. And uh, if you would like to see the whole archive, uh, go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P. You can sign up for an email newsletter to be notified every time a new interview is put up. There's a podcast you can uh, you know, subscribe to so you get it on your iPod. Uh, there are little discussion groups that, that form around each interview, and people sort of banter about different ideas that have been brought up in the interview. You can participate in that if you like. All that's available. And... Uh, I will see you next week. Thanks for watching.